So I originally recorded this episode about three weeks back, and there's been a really sad development in the meantime. Um, one of the bands we're covering in this episode, the Iranian death metal band Arsimez, Mess Injection recently broke the news that um, they'd been imprisoned by the Iranian government for playing satanic music, possibly facing like a 15-year sentence. Apparently at the moment they've posted a bail and are, you know, laying low, trying to stay out of trouble, but the it kind of reinforces what I was talking about uh, in the first part of this, of a lot of these bands are seemingly recording under quite incredible risks, so now more than ever, you know, if you enjoy any of the stuff I've covered here, make sure to throw some money at them through Bandcamp and show your support in whatever way you can, because these bands are clearly risking life and limb for for making the art we love and you know hats off to them for tr- for going through this kind of stuff for that it's an incredible sacrifice to you know prop up the metal we love Phil's Breakfast Metal episode 69. So this is the second part of me diving into the Asian extreme metal scene. If you missed the first episode, I'd highly recommend going back and checking that one out first. In many ways, the this episode series was largely an excuse for me to dive into a series of bands I've liked for a long time or recent releases without a massively connecting theme. I've, I've put it under the loose label of extreme metal because these bands go the whole way between black metal, doom, death, and thrash. So first up, I want to talk about the Lebanese thrash band Balakayim, spelt B-L-A-A-K-Y-U-M, and their second album, 2016's Line of Fear. So the band's been around apparently since 1995, but the the two albums are sort of both post-2010. They play, I'd say, your kind of traditional modern thrash they they sound like a lot of that kind of like thrash revival band but they just throw in a few things that i think makes them totally stand out from the crowd like the uh the the riffing is brilliant throughout and you know it hits all the staples of being a modern thrash band like if you play thrash post essentially 1989 you have to be fucking brilliant at guitar. And the guitar solos on this album are properly face-melting. Like, really, really impressive work. Um, the the guitar... Like, the, the vocalist, sorry, um, Basim Dedibes, he's pretty amazing as well. Like, he does about 90 different styles of vocals on this album. He goes from, like kind of low almost death metal growls so there's kind of more mid-range like thrash semi screams this like kind of proper heavy metal clean singing and then this higher range like shriek in places considering he's also the rhythm guitarist he is an incredibly gifted vocalist and uh, uh well apparently his brother as well uh, Rahid Dedibes the the lead guitarist absolutely brilliant like both musicians are really, really impressive. As I was saying, though, the thing that makes Line of Fear, for me, stand out from the crowd is moments where they throw in some kind of odd ideas. The title track has this amazing, like, acoustic breakdown in the kind of, like, the kind of closing minute of it, which is just this really kind of melodic, melancholy section that then builds really neatly up to, like, a heavy riff and, like, the closing solo of the album. Uh, There's a particularly great bit in the song Freedom Denied towards the end of the album where things get much more melodic and the vocalist actually, for the first time in the album, sings in a language other than English and this bit sounds incredible. It's incredibly unique in thrash metal. And actually, a part of me really wishes he did this a bit more. Like, it only appears in this one moment on the album. So the band is still active. So I really hope for the third album they throw in 
more moments like Freedom Denied. But at the core of it, really great riffs. The production's really nice. There's some great kind of finger-style bass work in there. The intro to the aforementioned title track, it, like, that cuts through really clearly. The drum performance is really decent as well. Like just, yeah, the whole band are very gifted. But as I say, if you're going to play Fresh in, you know... 2020 you you better be gifted interestingly um you can see uh some videos of this band because they were invited to play vacan quite a few years back and yeah there's some really great live capture of them and the thing is quite interesting on this album they have uh, an additional percussionist pay playing a a tabla which i think is a kind of traditional drum so they on top of like that really decent metal drum performance there's this secondary percussion in certain sections that really adds like a kind of a great energy like pushing everything forward with that really big percussive sound and on that live performance you can see like this musician being even more incorporated into the sound than they are on the album so, in standard fresh tradition, the lyrics are this very angry sort of political ranting. But, you know, for a Lebanese band playing fresh metal, like, the guys really give the impression they've got something to be angry about. In that the that live video I was talking about, he talked about a certain song being written about, like, his sort of rage towards, like, the failed revolution of the Arab Spring. So, it's, it's a really cool thing of having political fresh where you can jump on board with the lyrical topic it feels it feels really visceral and real whereas a lot of the times sometimes the politics in fresh feels very kind of abstract and almost just placeholdery for for lyrics this feels really well put together so one slight criticism i have of this album is the vocal performance it is so ever changing that he does a fair few styles I don't really like. Some of that kind of some of the cleans kind of approach that sort of Pantera groove metal style of clean singing, which I'm not big on. But then other moments of it are absolutely brilliant. Like there, like uh, there's uh, those high screams in particular. I really love the way he drops those into the sound, like, and he often saves them just for like the peak of a build-up, so just to give things like a massive kind of crescendo at the right moment. Yeah, the the performance is brilliant. The issue is me, not the band, and I think most of you who enjoy Frash will definitely find something to like on Line of Fear. I just, yeah, I hope the band put out more soon. So yeah, the band name, I believe it's pronounced Balakayam, and it's
So next up, we have the legendary band Arsemez from Iran, uh, formed back in 2002. And at this point, they've only got um, one full-length album out, 2010's Immortal Identity. Now, Immortal Identity is a real kind of like sledgehammer of a death metal album. The album really brings together the perfect mix of brutality and technicality. So after the opener, the kind of atmospheric at the gates of Persia, you're just straight away hit by Cyrus the Great, like straight into this kind of completely in your face, heavy death metal riffing, like really solid guitar sound and vocalist Ali Mardashahi's like performance on this like grabbed me straight away he's just got one of those really like identifiable growls like he throws in a few variations but the, the kind of core noise he makes throughout just sounds utterly brilliant the musicianship on this album is utterly top-notch the the solos and lead guitar work are ridiculous, but just the general like rhythm section is so incredibly tight. There's actually the the lineups changed quite a great deal over the years, but there's some great YouTube videos of I believe their current lineup playing like a uh, frantic disembowelment, uh, famously technical Cannibal Corpse song, like playing a live cover of that, and they're just so such good players. Another thing I really enjoy about this is uh, really loud bass in the mix. Great, I believe, fingerstyle bass work that really cuts through and sits in a position and often has something where it slightly differs from what the guitars are doing, like adding another interesting texture to the ridiculous point, actually, towards the end of the album in Testament of the King, playing a kind of separate bass lead section, which which really, really works. There's some really fun moments, like in the track Xerxes, we get these kind of like sampled, like marching feet along with the kind of like the driving rhythm of that song and it just it feels really epic and gives this real sense of like an army going to war there's some like interesting moments thrown in here as well there's a couple of like middle eight sections of songs where they go into this almost like orphan land sort of slightly middle eastern folk tinge like acoustic sections or more melodic clean tone sections just to build things back up into the tracks the album's got a fairly short runtime; like it's only nine tracks and none of them exceed the five minute mark it's all just really tightly written spot on death metal but honestly the album's under 40 minutes and i think that's exactly right for it i think the band did a really fantastic job of keeping things simple uh, well not simple the songs are immensely complex not over engineering anything not throwing in too many in like there's no interlude tracks which i think would have been a temptation on this and and the album definitely works better for it and it's just like this this kind of absolute kind of explosion of fury of brilliant riffing aggressive vocals and amazing lead guitar work just highly worth checking out for any of you into death metal like it's just a really solid album
from Arsemez, it's a really logical progression to the Iranian band Azuma, A-Z-O-O-M-A. These guys are, they've probably put out my favourite Tech Def album of the last decade. They are maybe tied with uh, Mifras's On Strange Loops. They are absolutely brilliant and their their one and so far only album act of the eye i would say is an essential purchase for fans of the genre so the band was formed um back in 2004 and features two men like two now ex-members of arsenez who were both on the album we were discussing earlier drummer Ahmad Tokalu and uh, Saeed Sariat. Uh, so Saeed Sariat's on drums, Ahmed's on guitar. And I assume this band's bass player, Farid uh, Sariat, is the, the drummer's brother. They certainly look very similar in the band photo. And then the, the lineup's rounded out by vocalist uh, Shahen Vakifopa. I totally mispronounced all of those. I'm really sorry. But yeah, so it's a kind of condensed lineup of one guitarist and one bass player and this really fits into the sound i'd say the sound really for me is reminiscent of say the kind of unquestionable presence era atheist with a touchless jazz or maybe some of those later death albums as the thing both those bands have with being incredibly technical but still seemingly having a lot of open space in the mix like not every i, I guess because the drum performers actually more than anything with modern modern tech death bands tend to sit in that like a uh, place of while being complex changing time signatures doing a lot of like mad stuff they blast throughout now we've seen with the previous album uh said has no trouble blasting but in here he like uses a lot of open space and this space is utilized to spectacular effect by uh bass player farad he comes up with these amazing melodies and they really make use of the dynamic of only having a single guitar so the bass is having to do so much extra work but the bass melodies are absolutely brilliant what i really enjoy as well is seeing um Ahmed's, like evolution as a guitarist because he's gone from this like real impressive but kind of standard shredder in arsimez whereas in azuma his solos i would say are for me, really reminiscent of uh, Paul Masterval of Cynic, that, that level of technical, yet melodic, yet incredibly experimental. Really, really beautiful stuff. So it's quite a lengthy album. It's eight tracks, none of which really clocking in much under the six-minute mark, and, and epics like uh, The Ocular Dominance are coming in at over 12 minutes. For the for the earlier tracks, like they sit, as I say, more in that that kind of later death sort of feel, but then they start throwing in more interesting moments, or not say more interesting, but different moments, moments where we get real kind of like prog rock flourishes, complete with occasional and really tastefully placed clean vocals, that the and then like sections of keyboards. Like, moments of real, like, atmospheric beauty mixed in with the kind of heaviness of the other parts. Because as much as there is, as I say, there is that kind of openness to the riffing, it's still really, really heavy. And the, the thing with this band is, they just sound incredible. The bass and guitar tone is amazing. The vocal performance is really cool, really engaging. Still quite brutal, but still intelligible. The album has this fantastic structure as well. It very much plays as one kind of hour-long piece. Each track is uh, kind of titled act something then the song title and it does give it this feel of this kind of like narrative journey really beautiful abstract colors like uh, colors cover with like a great kind of color palette to it like it's just a totally complete package i really love everything about it and this like the structuring of the songs is is wonderful and i guess that that's that's why I also sort of invoke that kind of 
very high praise comparison to stuff like Atheist and Death because I think they master that technical metal progression in a similar way. The, the, the sad thing is, um, at this point in time, this is the only thing we've got from them. The band is still active, so I'm really hoping for more material. They also have a, an EP beforehand, actually, called A Hymn of the Vicious Monster, which, yeah, also well worth a go, but as I say, just pick up Act of the Eye. It is utterly essential listening. Um, the other thing I really like about it, actually, I was saying about all the tracks being of this kind of longer length, other than the final track, Act 8, is about three minutes long and gets the nastiest and heaviest the album gets throughout. So it ends on this like really brutal climax. There's other actually stuff kind of evoked in place of it. Um, Act 4, Erosion of Shadows. Like the first two minutes of it is like really spot on Ghost Reveries worship. Like like the, the, the track Ghost Reveries in particular, it really evokes that feel, particularly with like the huge bass sound and subtle use of keyboards over these riffs. Like again, if you like any of that stuff You've just got to pick this up. It is so, so good. It's one of those albums as well. Every time I put it on, I'm like, why don't I listen to this more? Also, looking for a few band photos. Very strong mustache game with this band. A lot of, a lot of great long hair and mustaches. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm getting off topic. Go, go by as soon as Act the Eye. I promise you won't regret it. Next up, we have the Indonesian band Jasad with their third album, The Rebirth of Jacinda, uh, from 2013. So Jasad, unsurprisingly for an Indonesian band, play a really interesting vein of brutal death metal. And according to the Metal Archives, and this seems to be in some, some debate, the band have been around since 1990, although they've only put out three albums, starting with uh, Witness of Perfect Torture back in 2001. So... 
These guys are more into your kind of brutal, slammy death metal. And I, I became aware of them because Bloodstock Festival booked them and another Indonesian band, Burger Kill, to play one year. So I just happened to catch them live. And I was like, well, if they come all that way, I've, I've got to watch this. And it's one of the better brutal death metal shows I've ever seen. The band have an absolutely intense energy on stage. Like, uh, the front man is incredibly engaging um, and really powerful vocals. And bass player Yuli, who I believe is one of the long-term members of the band, is a really terrifying presence on stage. Just just looks so intense while doing it. Yeah, one of the, as I say, most I've enjoyed like uh, that kind of style live. Um, so the album is that kind of like more mid-paced kind of slamming stuff like the the production is exactly what you'd expect from that genre the um kind of pingy snare drum but you know not pushed up to the total extreme and that kind of very low end lots of like chugging groovy riffs throughout um the vocals are the bit that i i kind of really enjoy uh, they're not that super guttural gurgle they're more of a solid like low-end death growl with the odd like high-pitched shriek thrown in by the bass player and they really kind of they're, they're the kind of really evocative bit of the band the bit that uh, I really focus on when listening to um what's quite interesting as well is although they started out on your standard like violence rape whatever kind of lyrical themes they moved into particularly with this album Sudanese culture and folklore lyrics which are just so much more engaging on top of that there's moments of like uh I believe Indonesian folk instruments included I can't find anywhere what the name of the instrument the uh the singer played on stage but it was like this kind of little like pipe thing that just made a really cool sound and that's like in the intro of the album and at some points like blended over certain certain songs but at the core of this this is just really good uh brutal death metal riffing throughout like the the album i, I feel the production's a bit flawed i'm not really a fan of the guitar tone but i do think the music is really well written and as i say when it was brought to like the live context it was absolutely brilliant I, i'll never get over how charming the front man was at stage like even going to the point of like inviting the whole audience to come visit them in Indonesia saying like oh they've got a really good scene over there and don't don't worry about the the jihadis they'll 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 kick them up the arse to protect you anyway here's a song about that <laughs> it was, yeah just really really charming and absolutely brilliant bad if you ever are in the position to check them out live highly recommend it but if not uh rebirth of jacinda is well worth giving a go <laughs>
up, we have another Indonesian death metal band. This is Dead Carnations. Although these guys certainly aren't in the brutal death metal camp. I would probably classify them closer to tech death. But they've, they've got elements of a lot of things going on in their sound. Sadly, I think they're inactive now. I haven't seen anything like on their social media for about two years. So their third album, the one I'm talking about, Harmony Hell Decade, is probably their third and final. So they were active from 2006 and have put out three albums. And this album is just a really solid, well-written tech death album. So after the kind of quite goofy two-minute long intro, things... Um, kick off in like full force with Sigmatiga Matasatu, which is just this brilliantly paced, like kind of melodic but also brutal um tech dev song with these like it starts off with more traditional riffing and then gets into these amazing kind of harmonized bass and guitar tapping sections like a beautiful solo in the middle and then back into more just like intense death metal riffing it's really like most of the songs have this kind of format of like they're fairly verse chorus but with occasional like tech moments thrown in there the thing that's really striking about them and seems to be really divisive in the few reviews i've seen is the vocals are bizarre they are completely unique i i i've never I've never heard anything quite like them. Um, vocalist Ozzy Jazta, who I believe is only the vocalist on this album, does this amazing, like, high-pitched shriek that just sounds like it's just completely other. I, I can't think of a single vocalist he's comparable to. He sounds so kind of, like, pained and, like, soul-shredding when he's doing the lyrics. It's It's... Yeah, the vocal performance is absolutely spectacular. Another real standout kind of thing from this album is like that guitar and bass interplay when you get those like harmonized sections. Uh, Lucky Akbar, the the bass player, is doing some incredible work to keep up with um, guitarist Eka, who is just like he is capable of dropping into these absolutely face melting solos. But as I said with a lot of the other bands on it, it's it's well-written solos. This band understands the how to get that perfect mix of melody and while still being showy and technical. Uh, yeah, I just find this incredibly engaging. I think it will be an album that you'll get on the quality of the... Like, you'll enjoy the tone of the vocals or you won't and everything else will be secondary to that because... Uh, Ozzy sits very, very front and centre in the mix. But, uh, yeah, I think his vocals are amazing, but as I've seen a lot of reviews that aren't so into them. The one thing I'm not so fond of on this album is I really don't like the kick drum sound. It's like a very clicky kick drum. But Leo Hardy, the drummer, his performance is absolutely brilliant. It's just, like, unfortunately, capturing of the kick just doesn't really work for me but realistically in in the kind of scheme of things that's a a pretty minor criticism <laughs> one thing is well worth a look the album cover is definitely in the uh in the kind of over-engineered camp there is so many different themes going on in it there's like a series of like tortured souls walking up to a giant satan through like a destroyed spiky street full of lava surrounded by churches surrounded by spiky mountains and then like a giant eye of sauron in the background it's like it's really well drawn but it is yeah as i say so over engineered Dumb as well much like actually a lot of the ones we've been talking about i don't know why i've noticed a really weird trend with this i made a playlist for these two episodes um like the uh, earlier today and five albums clocked in at 37 minutes and this is yet another one and there seems to be some sweet spot in length there like 37 minutes for an album is just perfect for not outstaying its welcome and you know keeping the songwriting really tight because this, this is a 10 track album and of this kind of very abrasive intense tech death 
10 tracks is plenty and if your 10 tracks come in at 35 minutes perfect so yeah it's it's just a real really well-rounded album and i think an absolutely great like capstone to their career if this if it is the case that their carnations have called it a day at this point if not really hope to hear more from them although the the interesting thing is um so that vocalist i believe is only on that album and they have the guy who did the previous two albums is listed on metal archives at any rate as returning as the current vocalist so having not heard their early stuff i wonder how much that changed to the sound would affect things <laughs> Next up, we have a band I am always happy to talk about, and I've brought up a fair few times on the podcast before. This is Al Namrud from Saudi Arabia, who play kind of um, black metal with a slight kind of folk tinge to it in places, but like really, really raw black metal with a slight folk tinge to it. So um, back in 2017, I featured their album Encar and our best of the decade, and the, their new album. While at uh, which came out, I think just over a month ago, um, very much follows in the same vein of that album. So I believe there there hasn't been any sort of lineup change. Yeah, there is one truly the same lineup at this point in time. Um, so yeah, if you're familiar with that album, this one follows very much in that vein, but just has. A kind of much higher intensity to it. This album is extremely punishing. It's a very, very brutal, raw sound. Um, so if you're not familiar with the band, um, it's made up of Mephisto on guitar, bass and percussion and Ostron on keyboards and percussion. I believe all the drumming is programmed, but I could be wrong. And then, joining as of 2013, we have Hum Baba, 
are the vocalist who adds such a unique sound to this album. So these guys have been going since 2008, and I was already fairly familiar with their their earlier album, Kitab Al-Afwan, uh, which is very much a more traditional album. They, they, the vocal performance particularly is far more just standard black metal, and the, the folk stuff is dropped in in a way you'd kind of expect... Whereas on the later stuff like Walat and Enkar, the because the song has become so much more intense and abrasive, the folk stuff is kind of oddly buried in the background, and it's just this like subtle addition to the sound. But yeah, the thing that will grab you straight away with this album is Humbaba's vocals. He does this amazing kind of like semi-sing scream thing so his vocals always have this element of melody but still this really harsh attack and his delivery sort of Marshall Zeng Dekarnation's uh, single is very unique his delivery is totally one of the kind and he is really like a centerpiece of those two albums um on this one the the guitar work has got more technical um the band are definitely growing as musicians. There's there's even moments that I could be wrong, but sound like they're messing around with like sort of more complex uh, rhythmic ideas, like even playing into like polyrhythms and so on. Um, oh, actually, I'm looking at Bandcamp on this album. Ostron's credited with Arabian instruments, so he's the one bringing that kind of sound in. Overall, the songs are these really condensed, like four minute long absolute attacks with this really raw sound and like guitars and like kick drums like really pushed up to 11 but then you get those kind of like the kind of uh slight sounds of like like kind of acoustic picked folk instruments in the background over the top and it just fits really neatly as a whole it just really great stuff like hyper aggressive really rage-filled black metal and a band that are highly worth supporting because, you know, they're they're doing this music in Saudi Arabia that's got to be illegal there. I, I, I mean, I'm assuming. But they, they have to be incredibly underground. Like I, I've read interviews with um, Mephistos the singer where, well, I think one interview, in fact, um, where he's sort of talking about that he's, he has this difficulty of, like, He's barely allowed to own a guitar. Like if he, if he wants to get repairs made to his guitar, he has to sneak it in and out of the country. It's absolutely intense stuff. And like, this is really a great example of musicians suffering for their craft, and then that really coming through in the band's overall sound. That that there is a just level of passion and intensity in this is just mind-blowing it's it's so so well done you're gonna have to put up with a lot of it being very raw but then you know if you can deal with revenge if you can deal with that style of very rough aggressive black metal there should certainly be something in this for you
also, after recording these two episodes back to back, my voice is getting kind of hoarse now. So I'm going to do one more band and leave it at that. So I'm going to move on to one you've probably all heard of before, but one I've really wanted an excuse to talk about for a while, one album in particular. So I'm going to be talking about uh, the Israeli uh, progressive metal slash death metal band, Orphan Land, and in particular their 2004 album, Mabul, the story of the seven, uh, sorry, the story of the three sons of seven. So in stark contrast to Alnam Rood's anti-religious fury, we often lands main lyrical themes, which, and this makes a big part of their sound, is discussing the similarities between Abrahamic religions that are kind of call for unity and peace between them, uh, which is certainly interesting coming from like being a band that hails from israel i remember when i saw them at bloodstock many years ago someone the crowd heckled them about like about being an israeli band and that being problematic and uh vocalist kobe dealt with that quite well sort of talking about like the despising a sort of country's leadership and not feeling represented by that and having no issue with bands from the surrounding countries like Orphan Land have toured with bands like Bilocate, they've toured with I forget the name of them, a, a Palestinian band, and they always do this really symbolic gesture of in both bands set, like we'll switch a we'll switch singers. So Kobe did a song for Bilocate, which and uh, Bilocate's vocalist did a song for Orphan Land, and I think that's up on YouTube as well, because that guy's a beast of a vocalist, so that that was like a really cool crossover. But anyway, back to Mabul. So, Orphan Land have been going for a very long time. They started back in 1992 and put out two albums, uh, Sahara and El Nora Ali, which are both like pretty solid um, death metal albums with increasing amounts of like Middle Eastern folk influence in there. But I feel Mabul, uh, two, their 2004 album, is where they just hit this perfect sound. They this absolute sweet spot between the early death metal and their the kind of move to almost like power metal, progressive metal in the later years. It sits neatly between this. Of like, it has so much more intensity than I feel a lot of their later albums have. It has that perfect blending of folk metal in there and a huge amount of, like, that death metal but mixed with some very clean, very melodic moments. The first three tracks of the album sit in the quite kind of coherent vein with the birth of the three coming in with this, this kind of melodic death metal where Kobe the vocalist moves back and forth between his, like, kind of fairly high-pitched rasping growl and these really beautiful clean vocals and ocean land kind of follows on in a very similar vein um guitarist yossi plays some amazing bits of lead over this but then also he's um he's responsible for adding in a fair few other sounds to the mix he also plays saz bazooki and oud and these are layered over the top, so a lot of the sections of guitar have these like cool um, acoustic string sections layered over the top of them. And then there's also for this album they had keyboardist Eden Rabin, who adds like another layer to this. So it's, this this music has so much going on. There's so much to focus on it, but it still maintains a real kind of like melodic edge to it. Then things get really interesting at track three, Kiss of Babylon, that starts off in a very similar vein to the previous two, but then um, ends up in this amazing vocal trade-off by Shlomit Levy and Kobe himself, uh, doing this thing where they're, they're not actually singing words, it's more like rhythmic patterns going back and forth between them, and the, the kind of the music breaks away for like long sections of this and like come back comes back in and builds up into this great bit with this really lovely like lead guitar passage over it and eventually uh Shlomit is left to um continue singing into the the track uh al salk uh, uh, which yeah is just this kind of middle eastern folk 
song that sits neatly between this and the album's real heavy track, uh, Halo Dies, The Wrath of God. So yeah, it's a really odd term, but this, this melding of these tracks is utterly perfect. They flow together with, yeah, just absolutely perfectly. It's really cleverly written the way it can come out of these kind of heavier metallic riffing into these these total folk sections. Halo Dies is a real like highlight of this album and actually the the track they chose to open their live DVD is like a really strong starting track and then we get the the kind of another kind of heavier track a call to awake which has this bit in the middle where like Kobe on this album really experiments with a lot of different vocal things where I say his vocals are most evocative of a surge of System of a Down's vocals in this central section but that is the only dabbling with new metal purely in those kind of vocals. So after this, the album enters this kind of interesting transitional middle section with the the long atmospheric building, the arc, and then um, the uh, the kind of weirdly chosen single of the album, Nora El Nora, which is a very like almost poppy, folky song, and uh, one for me I'm kind of much less fond of than the rest. Then we have yet another kind of calm, folk-influenced track in, in the calm before the flood. But this builds to the real um, epic ending of the, the sort of two-part song, Mabul, the flood, and then track 11, the storm that rages inside, the almost 10-minute epic at the end. And these two feature some of the best use of the, the kind of melodic, folky sections mixed in with some of the heavier like more metallic stuff and what's particularly great with uh, the storm that rages inside is it comes to a conclusion with Yossi doing this absolutely beautiful melodic guitar solo that goes on for a, like a really long time it's it just fits so perfectly and it's like a really good capstone to the album the album, as I say, features a lot of other stuff on it. There's there's a guest cello player, guest violinist, there's a whole guest choir, and the band also uh, become part of this choir. There is also like guest additional percussionists, and if you if you watch the the live DVD, um, I forget the name of it now. Um, they actually get in a full kind of backing orchestra. Oh yeah, Rotor or Shalam. Um, live in Tel Aviv, they get in a sort of a full folk orchestra and additional percussionist, additional vocalist to really pull this stuff off live. After this album, um, they would like team up with Steve Wilson to make uh, the Neverending Way of the All Warrior, which is a decent album, but for my money, too long. And then they hit this like it's it's kind of in a similar vein to Mabul, I would say, but like far slicker produced with with Steve Wilson on board, and then they t make this massive direction change with All Is One into this really kind of uh, bombastic, al almost as I say, almost power metal, progressive metal sound with uh, with vocalist Kobe really relying on his cleans uh, more so that they almost the screams almost gone completely. And then, then I somewhat lose interest in the band because directly after that album, Yossi quits, sort of stating that he feels the band has really achieved all it's going to achieve with that sound and went off to pursue a solo career. And 2018's Unsung Prophets and Dead Messiahs is is fine. Like, it's, it's just a bit too slick and a bit too polished and doesn't quite work for me. It's certainly uh, an enjoyable album, and seeing the songs live, um, I, I did really like them, but the it just, none of it quite has the magic of Mabul for me. I mentioned uh, before about that live DVD, which is really worth checking out, because I've seen Orphan Land about five times now, I think, um, and there we are. They are a fantastic live act, but the issue with their sound is because there's so much layering and additional stuff. They are a band that fall into that like septic flesh trap of there is too much on the backing track, and and they have to work very hard as live performers to distract from the fact so much of their sound is pre-recorded, like. 
they don't tour with a female vocalist despite the regular inclusion of populous, in popular songs of hers. They no longer have a keyboard player and there, there isn't really any additional folk instruments, at least not that can be played by the guitarists while they're also playing guitars. So that DVD where they've got all that backing and, and including Steve Wilson actually coming out to do guest vocals on a song and a um, and a kind of acoustic cover of the, the wonderful... Uh, uh, Belo- the beloved cry off their their debut like demo which is really worth checking out um yeah that that dvd is the perfect distillation of how good that band is there is there is so many absolutely amazing moments the the version of kiss of babylon on it is absolutely excellent because at this point uh now like still in the band drummer Matan Shemul has joined and he's adding like he's just a far more powerful drumming presence than they had on on Mabul so in that section where like all the instruments drop out and over that vocal trade-off there's this amazing set of drum fills he just like absolutely shows off on that section it fits so perfectly he also adds these brilliant additional kind of like almost like more guttural backing vocals in a few tracks. Yeah, he's a really, really interesting presence for the band. And for me, this was like sort of the peak of their lineup with uh, Yossi still in the band. Um, the absolute essential track to check out from it, though, is the uh, the live version of From Broken Vessels from the All Warrior album, where like there are just so many wonderfully weird things happen with like Kobe finding a way to like disappear off stage out the back of the venue and then back in through the crowd where he starts like dancing with them but then the uh the camera cuts to a slightly longer instrumental section which then breaks into a really heavy death metal moment where suddenly he emerges on stage and he's a very tall man so has this really like towering presence where he's suddenly doing these really great like guttural vocals it's an almost two hour live performance but it is just one of the most perfect live capturing of a band so yeah if you're you're a fan of like live dvds this is uh, one i'd really highly recommend picking up and also for me the set list really heavily focuses on Mabul and All Warrior, so it's picking up a lot of my favourite songs of the band. As you can tell, I could probably go on all night about Orphan Land. I, I think they are just a fantastically competent band who have a really unique edge to the sound. As I say, this this is probably not news for you, but if you have have missed Mabul, I just highly encourage you go and check it out because it is really a masterful album and the band are you know coming from a really good place with this stuff i love the uh, I, I love the kind of message they're trying to infuse in a lot of their stuff it's incredibly positive um i don't know if you you, you may or may not have seen this there's a 2014 metal hammer award show which if you're not from the uk metal hammer is a big publication here for like it's the big populist metal publication and they do this video award show and they won the international metal award yes another reason i'm covering stuff like this because that is a fucking ridiculous category name but anyway they won the award for best band who essentially aren't from western europe or uh, north america and they did this fantastic acceptance speech where they shared the award with their Palestinian tour mates um, and sort of went into this this like sort of brief speech about how, like, you see, this is people from two countries who famously hate each other, but we're absolutely fine together. It's just our leaders who are, like, cowards and won't get in one room and actually hash things out. And it... It was, uh, yeah, I, I felt it was a really, really powerful scene. Apparently cut from the the broadcast, although I'm hoping that's just because Steel Panther introduced it and were just doing their usual shtick of somehow attempting to parody hair metal in the 80s by being even more sexist, but it's a joke sexism. 
Sorry, getting well off topic, I just wanted to state that I hated that band. I somehow doubt many of you would disagree on that one. So I'll leave it there for this series for the time being. Um, obviously, the category of Asian extreme metal is so myriad and vast. I, I have a thousand bands to choose from. Like, when selecting these, I, I have a list of uh, another, like, 20 I own albums of that I'd really also like to discuss, so... Much like the death metal hidden gems, I I think this will be something I come back to. But at some point in the future, we'll give it give it a few episodes. But please get in touch. Uh, much like with the the previous episodes, if there's stuff in here that was new to you and enjoyed, I'd love to hear it. If there's stuff you knew well and you know think I missed critical details of, let me know because I, I love finding out interesting like facts about various bands and like like. Uh, like this was all based on Michael Tote's original request, recommend bands from, like, lesser-known bands from countries that don't tend to get attention, because I'd love to hear more. Because I, I feel these, like, I hope I've done the part to prove that there is no reason these countries shouldn't be in the spotlight as much as anywhere else. It's just a case of, like, geographical inconvenience means we just don't hear about them so much it's quite clear places like lebanon and indonesia have fantastically thriving scenes but you just don't hear about it so much because i guess you'll never see you like you'll rarely see these bands live or it's very costly to do so so yeah like um let me know of any great ones i i, I still in general don't know that many bands from Africa, but I'm sure there must be a really good scene there. So if you've got some good recommendations, please get in touch. Yeah, so you can um, email us, us at philsbreakfastmetal at gmail.com. We're at Breakfast Metal on Twitter or Phil's Breakfast Metal on Facebook. So yeah, please drop me a line. It'd be great to chat. Anyway, thanks a lot for listening. <laughs>